Rebecca Meitinger. It is great to be here with you again today. We are going through a series right now that is an extension of our series from last summer called Do You See This Woman? And this time as we look at a few women from the Bible, we are underneath a sub-theme called God's Heart for the Unloved Woman. Last time we looked at the story of Leah, the sister of Rachel, wife of Jacob, and we looked at how God saw that she was unloved and he gave her favor. And tonight, or this morning, we are going to look at a woman named Hagar. Hagar's story is also found in Genesis, and she is a woman who feels unloved, and specifically we learn that she is feeling unseen and unheard not knowing if anybody, and especially perhaps God himself, sees her, not knowing if she is noticed or appreciated in any way, feeling quite used. And I think so many of us women can relate to Hagar, the pain that she has in her feelings of not being seen, not being recognized, not being valued for who she is. Those are experiences that so many of us women go through, maybe all of us women at varying degrees at different times in our life, can relate to how Hagar is going to feel in this account. We are going to start in Genesis chapter 16, and I will give commentary as we go. Uh, Before I begin, though, I want you to know my prayer for you in sharing Hagar's story is that you would know that there is a God who sees you and who knows you and loves you, that we have a personal God. We have a God who came to be with us, to save us, to die for us. A God who calls himself Emmanuel, God with us. We have a God who sees us, knows us, understands us. So much so that he put on flesh to understand us fully and completely. That in the book of Hebrews, it says that we have a high priest who knows all of our weaknesses, who understands everything we go through because he went through it himself. He put on flesh so that he can be a high priest who sympathizes with our weaknesses. And Hagar certainly learned who this God is in the account that we're going to read today. All right, so Hagar is, um, she is a slave to Abram and Sarai. I'm not sure. I don't think that she is a slave in the way that we understand slave in our culture today. Usually in the Bible, the word slave would have a lot more similarity to what we would call a house servant. And that's what it appears that she is to Sarai. She is Sarai's handmaid, a house servant. So not what we view as slavery per se. But She is owned by Abram and Sarah. I'm going to call them, okay, in this text, Abram and Sarah have not, Sarai have not had their names changed. So I'm going to go ahead and call them Sarai and Abram because that's how it is in the text. And actually, it's it's interesting because we're going to read from Genesis 16 today and from Genesis 21. And in between those two texts in, in, um, Genesis 17 is where God changes their name to Abraham and Sarah instead of Abram and Sarai. And so 
in the first part of our text, they will be Sarai and Abram, and in the next part of our text, their names will have been changed. But I'm going to do my best to call them according to what they are at whatever part of the story we're in, <laughs> if that makes sense. All right, so starting in chapter 16. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had not given birth to any children, but she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. All right, so just to pause, so that this is problematic because about 10 years prior, when God initially called Abram in Genesis chapter 12, God told Abram that he will give him descendants as many as sand on the seashore and stars in the sky. Well, it takes a baby to have descendants, and so they are still not having children. Sarah is still, Sarai is still infertile, and she is getting frustrated, and not just frustrated, but she is getting old. So, verse 2, Sarai said to Abram, Since the Lord has prevented me from having children, please sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have a family by her. Abram did what Sarai told him. Now, I just want to make a note on that. From the beginning of Scripture to the end of Scripture, whenever God's design of sexuality is discussed, it is across the board all of the time God's design, God's plan, is that sex is between a husband and a wife in marriage. In the Old Testament... And in the New Testament, when we see sex going outside of those bounds, often it is because it is culturally accepted. So it's not that it's God's plan that sex goes outside of those bounds, but in the culture they're living in, it is accepted and normal for Abram or any other man to have a uh, child with, if his wife is not bearing children, to have a child with uh, a, one of the servants of the household or to even take on more wives. And we will see that throughout the entire Old Testament. It doesn't mean that it's God's design, and it doesn't mean that it's God's plan. It means that it's culturally accepted, and that is how the people lived, just like today. And so just a, that's just a side note. So Abram did what Sarah told him. Sarai told him. So after Abram had lived in Canaan for 10 years, Sarai, Abram's wife, gave Hagar, her Egyptian servant, to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she became pregnant. Once Hagar realized she was pregnant, she despised Sarai. Then Sarai said to Abram, You have brought this wrong on me. I gave my servant into your embrace. But when she realized that she was pregnant, she despised me. May the Lord judge between you and me. All right, I'm going to pause there. We can see that now that they have brought in a sexual relationship outside of the husband-wife relationship, there is major problems in the marriage. There is huge division now between Sarai and Abram. Sarai is very angry at Abram because he got Hagar pregnant, even though if you're thinking, wait a minute, it was her idea. It was Sarai's plan. Yep, it was Sarai's plan. And now that Hagar is pregnant, Sarai is very mad at Abram. Hagar is, it says that Hagar is despising Sarai. There's a couple things that this could be. One, one thing could be that she knows that the baby that she's bearing is going to be 
a descendant of Sarai, not a descendant of herself. And so there is probably conflicting emotions, just very difficult to know how to feel. She's put in a very hard spot. I don't think that Hagar necessarily was forced by Abram into the sexual relationship. I don't know how much choice she had. That is unclear. But whatever the situation is, she knows that the baby she is bearing is not going to be her descendant, but Sarai's descendant. And so that leads into very mixed emotions, very difficult, struggling, uh, conflicting feelings. And then on the flip side of that, there also, my study notes tell me that there also might be some of her feeling elevated above Sarai. Sarai was not able to get pregnant and Hagar was able to get pregnant. So there might be some feeling like she's better than Sarai, even though she's probably much, much younger. Sarai is very old by this point. Um, She is in her 70s. And so Hagar is probably a young servant, young woman. And uh, it might feel like I'm younger. I'm the one who was able to get pregnant. Your body is no longer any good or useful for anything. That might be, a, of course, that is not the right attitude. That's completely wrong. But that might be some of what she is gloating about, which would make Sarai feel deeply hurt, deeply wounded, understandably. And so there is huge division going on here. <clears throat> Um, As far as where Hagar came from, we know that she is Egyptian in ethnicity. She is Egyptian. And in Genesis chapter 12, we see Abram moving to Egypt for a time because the land of Canaan is in a drought and a famine. And so he moves to Egypt. And when he comes home from Egypt, he is bringing with him many sheep, many donkeys, Um, servant servants both male and female he brings back from Egypt and so Hagar likely came with at that point so perhaps she has lived with Abram and Sarai for about a decade or so all right in verse six Abram said since your servant is under your authority do to her whatever you think is best then Sarai treated Hagar harshly So Hagar ran away from Sarai. I just think that that is so interesting because Abram is very, very passive here. Sarai is very upset. She puts all the blame on Abram. And then Abram turns around and is just very passive about it. Like, well, do whatever you want. She's your servant. And I think that is so reminiscent of the story in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve are blaming one another for who sinned first, whose fault was it. Um, When God asks Adam, what did you do? Adam right away says, the woman that you gave me, she made me eat the fruit. And then Eve turns and says, but it was the serpent's fault. And we know that Adam was right there the whole time that that the serpent and Eve were having this conversation in Genesis, Genesis chapter three. When Eve initially took the fruit, Adam was, it says that Adam was with her. 
And so we just see such passivity on Adam's part, like not stepping in to do the right thing. And here we see that in Abram as well. We see him and his passivity and his sin of passivity and uh, just telling her to do whatever you want with her. She's yours and doesn't. he's not taking responsibility to make things right. So um, Hagar runs away. Verse 7, the angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring that is along the road to Shur. Okay, I want to stop here and talk about this angel of the Lord. So in the Old Testament, when we have the angel of the Lord, most theologians agree that the angel of the Lord is different than an angel of the Lord. And we're going to see here in a moment as well that we learn that Sarah, that Hagar actually is seeing God himself. And so the angel of the Lord throughout the Old Testament, he appears many times to individuals. And it's different than an angel of the Lord. And it is called a theophany. A theophany is an appearance of God himself. And even more so, going a step further, it usually seems to be what's called a Christophany, which is the appearance of Christ. So the pre-incarnate Christ, before God the Son put flesh on as the baby boy Jesus, for eternity past, he was he's still God the Son. Uh, he just didn't have the flesh on in his bodily form. And he appears in various times throughout the Old Testament. Whether or not he always appears the same, that's unknown. But he appears as a mighty angel. And those who see him know that they are seeing God himself. That, that appears to be a pretty consistent pattern. And that is the case with Hagar. So there's good reason to believe, although we can't know for sure, but there's good reason to believe that in verse 7 when it says the angel of the Lord, that that would be the pre-incarnate Christ coming to Hagar in some sort of bodily form, appearing as a mighty angel, perhaps, but appearing to her in a physical way. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring that is along the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I think that is one of the most beautiful questions that God asks in all of scripture. Because he is God and he knows exactly where Hagar has come from and he knows where Hagar is going. He knows already. He is not asking for his own information. He's such a wonderful, loving, caregiving God that he invites her to tell him, Hagar, tell me what's going on. Tell me what your plans are. Where have you come from? What's been happening? What has brought you here today? You are downtrodden. You are sad. You are broken. You are pregnant scared and alone. Please tell me what's happened. I I already know because I'm God, but I would love to sit here on the road and let you tell me. And then where are you going? What what are you thinking? Do you have a plan? Just tell me, tell me how you are. I just think that is so beautiful. And Hagar does. Uh, she says, I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress 
and submit to her authority. I will greatly multiply your descendants, the angel of the Lord added, so that they will be too numerous to count. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, You are now pregnant, and you're about to give birth to a son. You are to name him Ishmael, which interestingly means God hears. For the Lord has heard your painful groans. He will be a wild donkey of a man. He will be hostile to everyone, and everyone will be hostile to him. He will live away from his brothers. Now, this is interesting because I... I've always thought it was really interesting when God told Hagar that he will be a wild donkey of a man. But my NET Bible footnotes tell me that this prophecy is not an insult. The wild donkey lived in a solitary existence in the desert away from society. Ishmael would be free roaming, strong, and like a Bedouin. He would enjoy the freedom his mother sought. But then... The next line says in the text, the next line says that his hand will be against everyone. And it says that the hand represents his strength. Like his strength will be against everyone. And what it says is that his free roaming lifestyle would put him in conflict with those who follow social conventions. There would not be open warfare, only friction because of his antagonism to their way of life. So it reads harder in English than the way it must really be. This prophecy is not as negative as it seems to us in our culture as we read it. And the Lord is so gracious to Hagar to let her know, I am going to greatly multiply your descendants. Now let's keep in mind that a woman in this culture had absolutely no rights She could not take care of herself. She couldn't own land or sell land or buy land. And she really had no way financially to care for herself. Her value, very sadly, was seen through her ability to have children. And that's devastating. It's it's so devastating. When Hagar was told by God, I will greatly multiply your descendants, he's letting her know, I will take care of you. You are going to be okay. You are not going to be scared and alone and poor forever. I'm going to provide for you and take care of you. Verse 13, so Hagar named the Lord who spoke to her, you are the God of who sees me. Now here it is. Here is how we can see very clearly that this person who appeared to Hagar, the angel of the Lord, was in fact the Lord. She named the Lord who spoke to her, you are the God who sees me. For she said, here I have seen the one who sees me. That is why the well was called Bir Lahoi Roy. It's located between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar gave birth to Abram's son, whom Abram named Ishmael. Now Abram was 86 years old when Hagar gave birth to Ishmael. All right, so she called him, you are the God who sees me. You see me, God. You are the God who sees me. And now I have seen the one who sees me. One of the things that is so striking about this is that we can't forget that Hagar 
grew up in Egypt. And so she grew up worshiping many, many, many false gods in Egyptian, Egyptian gods in Egypt, Egyptian gods. And she had about, I mean, we can think, we can guess that she must have lived with Abram for maybe almost a decade. And I have to wonder if during that decade, before this, the decade, she probably lived with Abram for a decade before this account. I have to wonder if during that time, Abram and Sarai taught her about the one true God. Because she seems familiar with this God at this point. Like, now I have seen the one who sees me. She knew that he saw her. When he came to her, she did not ask, who are you? It seems that she knew who he was. You are the God who sees me. I have seen the one who sees me. There seems to be some familiarity there. Like she she knows who this God is and she knows he's the one true God. He, she knows that he is the only God who sees her. And I think that's so beautiful to know that Despite, you know, we we tend we read this story and we think that she was so poorly treated by Abram and Sarai. And in this account, yes, she is being poorly treated and taken advantage of. However, it seems that over the course of her time in Abram and Sarai's household that she was taught about the one true God. And that is a beautiful thing. So when she met him on the roadside, she knew who he was. So she goes back to Abram and Sarai's house just because God told her to do it. She obeys God and goes back to their house. Um, 13 years later, Sarai gets pregnant and has a son. And we are going to pick up the story in that spot. And it's in Genesis chapter 21. So I will start reading as we pick up the story. Genesis chapter Chapter 21, I'm going to read, start at verse 1. We will see what happens to Hagar. So it's about 13 years later. Ishmael is approximately 13 right now. So the name has now been changed to Sarah. Abram has been changed to Abraham. The Lord visited Sarah just as he said he would and did for Sarah what he had promised. So Sarah became pregnant and she bore Abraham a son in his old age at the appointed time that God had told him. Abraham named his son, whom Sarah had bore to him, Isaac. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him, just as God had commanded him to do. Now Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has made me laugh. Everyone who hears this will laugh with me. This does not indicate a laughing at you or mocking you. She's talking about laughter with joy. God has made me joyful. She went on to say, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? And yet I have given birth to a son for him in his old age. And in her old age too. She is 90 years old at this point. The child grew and was weaned. Abraham prepared a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah noticed the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, the son whom Hagar had borne to Abraham, mocking Isaac. So she said to Abraham, Banish that slave woman and her son, for the son of that slave woman will not be an heir along with my son Isaac. 
we can see that there is still animosity going on between Sarah and Hagar. Uh, Ishmael is probably about 16. He was 13 when Isaac was born, but Isaac is being weaned now. So he is probably about three years old, which would make Ishmael approximately 16. So here's a big teenage boy somehow mocking Isaac perhaps mocking not just Isaac in the way that brothers do, but perhaps mocking his place in Abraham's family, perhaps mocking him because Isaac is the one who will carry on the line of descendants for Abraham. And that probably was well known. I'm sure that Sarah and Isaac did not keep that quiet. I mean, Isaac's only three, so I guess he wasn't talking about it. But I'm sure Sarah did not keep it quiet. It sounds like she probably made that well known to Hagar and Ishmael on a regular basis that her son would carry the line of Abraham. And so there's probably some animosity that goes all directions there. And perhaps that is what Ishmael is mocking Isaac about. (laughs) Verse 11, Sarah's demand displeased Abraham greatly because Ishmael was his son. But God said to Abraham, do not be upset about the boy or your slave wife. Do all that Sarah is telling you, because through Isaac your descendants will be counted. But I will make the son of the slave wife into a great nation, for he is your descendant also. Early in the morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. He put them on her shoulders, gave her the child, and sent her away. So she went wandering aimlessly through the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she shoved the child under one of the shrubs. Then she went and sat down by herself across from him at quite a distance, about a bow shot away. For she thought, I refuse to watch the child die. So she sat across from him and wept uncontrollably. Now let's remember that Ishmael here is somewhere between 13 and 16 years old. So he's at least 13, probably a little bit older since Isaac is being weaned. So he is he's more like a young man. When it says that Abraham put the food on her shoulders and gave her the child, he's not handing her a young child. He is more like motioning Ishmael to go with her, hopefully giving him a hug and giving him a blessing as he goes and sending them off together. And then in verse 15, it says that she, Hagar, shoved the child under one of the shrubs. That's an interesting phrase, but uh, because he is like a young man. But my NET study notes say that it probably, it's like an exaggerated language that probably expresses how limp Ishmael is from dehydration and exhausted and she just sort of like let him go lay under a tree and then she walked far away because she could not watch her son die so you think about like an athletic strong young man and he could have gone hunting he could have gone looking for water it just gives us an idea of how long they've been out in the desert because he's probably done all that by now and he is so weak he's so he just has nothing left and so he just lays down and he's going to die and she is weeping uncontrollably and then we hear in verse 17 that so is the boy weeping uncontrollably 
So in verse 17, it says, But God heard the boy's voice. The angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and asked, What's the matter, Hagar? Don't be afraid. For God has heard the boy's voice right where he is crying. Get up, help the boy, and hold him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God enabled Hagar to see a well of water. She went over and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy as he grew. He lived in the wilderness and became an archer. He lived in the wilderness of Paran. His mother found a wife for him from the land of Egypt. So Ishmael gets a wife from the same land that his mom is from, except they have learned about the one true God. They have seen and known personally the one, hand, the one true God. They, have, they know that he is the one who hears them, he is the one who sees them, and he is the one who is providing for them. I want you to know, my dear, dear friends, that you have a God in heaven who sees you. He sees you and he knows you. And when you are at your worst, your absolute worst, where you have absolutely nowhere to go and nowhere to turn, you have a God who comes to you in a very personal way, who will sit down in the dirt with you and say to you, Rebecca, where have you come from? And where are you going? Tell me your story. Where have you come from? And where are you going? Just tell me. It reminds me of the hemorrhaging woman in Mark chapter 5, who when Jesus healed her and he asked, who touched me? It says the woman told him the whole truth. And we get this whole list in Mark chapter 5 about all that she had been through and how she had lost all her money and gone to all the doctors and only gotten worse and not better. And it appears that Mark, or whoever was telling Mark about this as he wrote it down, heard all those details out of the woman's mouth because she was telling Jesus all the details. It says she told him the whole truth. She told him where she had come from and where she was going. We have a God who wants to hear us tell our story. He knows our story, but he wants to hear us tell our story because he knows it is healing for the soul and the heart to be heard, to be listened to, to be seen, to be understood, to be accepted to be appreciated and valued and given the time to be paid attention to is healing to the human soul. And Hagar met the God who sees her and hears her, who pays attention to her, who values her, who would provide for her, take care of her needs when she felt alone and abandoned. And I want you to know, my dear, dear friend, God sees you. God knows you. God hears you. You have a God who sees you today. Maybe it would bring healing to your soul to say out loud to God right now, you are the God who sees me. I have seen the one who sees me. Thank you, God, for seeing me. Amen and amen. I will see you next time. Have a great day. Bye.